0: Fossi and Jai here again. They come back. (laughs) Of course, they're kind of locked in. They're here. Susie dragged them if they didn't come, or Donna. (laughs) And it's good to have Donna here. We love it when Donna comes up. Amen. So, anyway, it's good to have everybody here today. In case you live in a cave or somewhere else, it's Resurrection Sunday. And uh, I'm excited about that. I'm very excited about that. Of course, I get excited anyway, but. I'm especially excited about that because if Jesus isn't alive, we have no hope. Right. And we have hope because Jesus is alive. Amen. Yeah. Mark 16, to 3. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Now early in the morning, these faithful women went to the tomb to complete the burial rites of Christ. They didn't have enough time because of Passover. They had to get him in the tomb and and that before that. So they just, they wrapped him, um, my mind just went blank, Nicodemus and Who was the other guy, man? My mind just went blank. Cliff, who's with him? We got the body of Jesus. Joseph Joseph of Arimathea. There we go. Put him in his tomb. So they wrapped him up, and uh, just put him in there. And the women were going back to the tomb to be able to put spices in along with it, because we know from all the TV shows what happens to dead bodies. What happens to them? They stinketh. So the spices are there to help cover the smell of the decaying body. And uh, so that's why they were bringing the spices and they do things differently than what we do. We were, uh, and that is they put someone in a tomb, usually it's a family tomb, and they put them in there and they wrap them in spices and then after so long when they're fully uh, decayed or whatever, then they put the bones in a bone box, the family bone box. And then the next person dies, and it's ready for them to utilize. So that's how their their um, funerals are basically worked. And uh, so Jesus was placed in this tomb of Joseph of Arimathea because it was his tomb that he had planned on putting him in. So, but they came up earlier, and as they started on their way, they started realizing, man, who are we going to get to roll away the stone? What are they going to do about that? But they kept going irregardless of that obstacle. Sometimes we as believers, we know we're supposed to do something, but then we let obstacles interfere with what God has called us to do. But they didn't worry about the obstacles. They just went in faith, figuring that it would work out when they got there. And that's what we need to do. And God called us to do something, irregardless of the obstacles. We need to keep going and knowing that God is going to do it. And so that's exciting. Uh, Matthew 28, 2-4. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now when these women went to the tomb, they expected to find things just as they left them. And they didn't know how they were going to roll the storm away, but they didn't expect anything different. And we have so many people that go, goes to church week after week after week, and they have, expect everything to remain the same. Sometimes we don't have revivals in the churches because we don't expect one. We expect it status quo. We're going to have three or four songs. We're going to have the announcements. We're going to have the offering. We're going to have a message that I hope, wish you'd hurry up and quit preaching and sit down, <laughs> so I can go home. And every week, we expect the same thing. So we don't have any room for God in our church services. And we need to to get over that. We need to come to church expecting. Because if we come to church expecting, we won't be disappointed. If we come to church not expecting anything, we won't be disappointed either. So a lot of things that happen or don't happen in the church is by our attitude when we come to church. See, I come every week expecting God to do something. First of all and foremost, I expect him to anoint me to preach his word. I mean, I can read these notes, and sometimes you probably wish I would, take you maybe 10 minutes to get through my notes. But I can preach a long time on just one verse, as some of you have found out. It was kind of funny. When you used to do Bible studies, I'd hand out these verses, and they'd laugh at me for handing out more than one. They says, really, you actually think you're going to get past this one verse? (laughs) But the reality is, when God anoints you to say something, you can do it. And most of the stuff that I have this morning isn't in my notes. And I come believing that God is going to do that. And he's never let me down. So if we come expecting, God will never let you down. Because our faith is not in man If your faith's in me this morning, you're really messed up (laughs) because our faith needs to be in God and let God do what he wants to do in the service. And that's the way we need to come to church every single week. Now, they came expecting it to be the same, and they did not expect a miracle. So they came and, whoa, what's going on here? Because they didn't expect it. Even though Jesus told them everything, it didn't make sense to them because their eyes weren't open to the reality of it. That's why people who read God's Word they tell us, "Man, I, how you read that thing? I can't understand anything in it." Well, the Bible was written for an eight-year-old eight to understand it, and even some smaller than that. But see, the difference is, our eyes are open as believers. It's kind of like being half blind and you can't see anything, and then you get glasses and go, "Whoa! Wow! Wow! There's actually words on this." And that's what glasses does. But the Holy Spirit, when he comes into our life, he opens our spiritual eyes, and then we can see. And we understand stuff that we never understood before. And I don't care how many times you read God's word, every time you do, you're going to get something out of it. You can read the same verse every day for the rest of your life and get something out of it. It's amazing to me. I do that all the time. I'll sit in there and I read, my, read first thing in the morning or having coffee out in the sunroom and sitting there, and, I, and I'll read different. I'll tell Randy, I I never noticed that before, did you? No? <laughs> <laughs> but when I see something that I never noticed before, I acknowledge it. And I do that every, every time I do because there's things in here that we can learn if we will just let God speak to us through his word. And he doesn't speak here, he speaks here. People say, well, I can't hear God. Well, open your heart. I have heard God's audible voice, but most of the time when God speaks to us, it's not through here, it's through here. And that's how we gotta listen. And before you read God's word, pray, God, open the eyes of my heart that I may be able to see. And not only see, but to be able to understand what you're saying to me today. That's what we need to do. <coughs> So if we come to church and we don't expect God to show up or shake up the place, he won't. Because God can't work where there's doubt. And just a few people here, I know that we believe and God can overcome any obstacle he wants, and he can do that, and I believe that, that God is going to have a revival in this area because we've never had a revival in this area. Never! And I believe that we're going to have one and that revival is going to, Uh, change people's hearts, and they're going to start worshiping the one true God. Because there's only one. There's a God of the Bible, not this God that does this and this God that does that. And it surely isn't an American idol or a sports hero. (laughs) If we have any heroes in this world, they have a soldier's outfit on, not an NFL outfit or a basketball jersey. Because they are blessed with the talent that God gave them. So, if you want to have a hero, and you want to raise your kids to, to look at heroes, then show them a soldier. Yeah. I was raised in the Vietnam era, and when our soldiers came home from Vietnam, there was no support for them. They, uh, they made them feel ashamed that they were veterans over that war. And if we would have fought it like a war, we would have won it. But they didn't. They tried to fight a war to be politically correct. You can stand right here and get shot, but you can't shoot past this line. Now, common sense is thrown completely out of the window. If somebody's shooting me at me, I don't care how where that line is, I'm shooting back. So they can be killed, but they can't shoot back. Now, that's no way to fight a war. <clears throat> and as soon as we start treating this like a war that we're dealing with now, we have the opportunity to win. But we can't be politically correct in doing it. So I am not politically correct, and I will never be politically correct. And I'm going to, one day, if the Lord uh, tarries, and uh, things don't change, I might be end up in jail one day, because I'm not. But I hope if I'm locked up in jail, the next week someone else will be up here preaching the word, and then I'll have a cellmate. <laughs> <laughs> So, anyway, that's the way it needs to be. Now, the stone wasn't rolled away so Jesus could get out. It was rolled away so we could look in. Amen. Jesus was risen, rose from the dead before the stone was rolled away. And Jesus could have rolled the stone away if he wanted to. was well, no big deal. Went, whew. Not only could have rolled it away, he could have made it disappear if he wanted to. But he chose to do the things the way that he did them because of a better testimony that he had that he wanted the people to learn. Uh, Luke 24, 4 to 6. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the woman bowed down with her faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Now, this statement, why do you look for the living among the dead? The place where Jesus' tomb was, and we've been there. So we've looked in the tomb, and it's still empty. I'm glad of that. Not only that, they've had scientists go in there and comb every area ounce of that tomb, and there's not even one little iota sign of death in that tomb, because Jesus is alive. And he took all the stink of death with him when he rose from the dead. And so when we look in that tomb and it's still empty, that's our hope, because if it had a body in it, then we're lost, and we have no hope to go to heaven. And we have a hope because he rose from the dead and he's alive. And I'm excited about that. And uh, the two angels told them that Jesus wasn't here. He's risen. Now, we had just went up this week and uh, for Randy's dad who passed away. He was 90 years old. That's a long time <laughs> in, this, in our world to live. And uh, so we went there and we had the funeral at the graveside. And it's never easy to bury a loved one, never. I don't care what the circumstances are, it's never easy. But when we were there and you looked at all the the cemeteries across the world that we see, they are filled with the remains of people, but the most people aren't there. If if we die as believers, to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of God. Now our remains may stay there, but who we are is going to be with Christ until he returns and unites our bodies to our spirit and soul and we have the glorified body, not this piece of garbage I'm hauling around. I mean, I will be so glad for that new body. There won't be any metal in it. I'll be able to run and jump and do whatever I want to do. Hallelujah. That itself is an exciting time. Now, if you haven't got those aches and pains, You're not old enough. (laughs) One day when you get older like us, and you wake up one day and you're going to wonder what in the world has happened to this body? Well, it's called old age. And I've decided, I found out what they mean by the golden years. And what they mean is it takes all your gold to survive them. (laughs) So the golden years, as we've worked your whole life for, when you get there, hey man... I'd rather work and not have all this stuff going on in my body. And uh, don't laugh. You're going to be there one day. I hope I'm in heaven at the time when you get my age. But if not, then we'll be comrades. (laughs) So uh, Mark 16, 7. Nobody up there? <laughs> okay. Um, let's see, where'd I go now? But you go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going to ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now the angels told them to go and tell the disciples and Peter. So that's exactly what they did. They didn't question it, they didn't say anything about it. They said, okay, and they went. It's too bad we're not that obedient. If angel tells me to do something, I'm going to make sure it lines up with God's word. That's the first thing we need to worry about: is make sure of that, because God won't tell us to do something that goes against His word. And uh, so they went and were obedient to God and did that. Um, Luke twenty four eleven. But they did not believe the women because their word seemed to them like nonsense. Now the men didn't believe the woman because it sounded ridiculous to them. Besides that, women's testimonies weren't allowed. You couldn't, a woman could not testify in a court of law because they didn't trust them. They figured they're just running around just busy bodies and, and you couldn't believe anything they say. I'm glad we're past that today. Because God can speak through women just as much as He can men. The ones that say they can't are chauvinists. You get that word in a minute. <laughs> they don't like women, so they think that God can only speak through a man. And the reality is, He can. He can speak to any way that He wants. He can speak through this remote if He wanted to. Because God is not limited by anything that we do or say. God is not limited by our boundaries. And so God told them to go, and they went. Now, it was kind of a ridiculous thing to hear, though, wasn't it, when you think about it? Hey, Jesus is risen from the dead. We saw angels, and the guards are laying on the ground like they're dead. Now, if we went to the cemetery today, and we saw that, and we went and told someone, do you think they'd believe us? What are you smoking? (laughs) Or what are you drinking? Because that isn't something that can happen. (laughs) And it sounded ridiculous. So... We are told, if we're told to do something, we need to do it. Uh, three different people came to the tomb that day, and each one of them responded in a different way. The first to arrive at the tomb was the women's, and their testimony was to John. And John, well, he wanted to believe. He was, the, he was the, that one of the, those disciples that did not abandon Jesus. He was there every time that Jesus was around, you'll see John. He never abandoned him at the cross. He never abandoned him uh, when he was being tried and convicted. He was there. Uh, John 19, 26 and 27. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to that disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, the oldest son was responsible to take care of the mother. And there, her oldest son was dying on the cross. And even in his mo- the worst agony that we can possibly even imagine, he thought about his mother. And he said, John, from now on, this is your mother. You take care of her. And he would not entrust her to just anyone. See, Jesus loved his mother very much. Just like the kids they are supposed to love their parents. <laughs> but he was obedient and he took her into his home and, and took care of her until the day she died because Jesus entrusted her to him. And he was probably honored that Jesus did that. Now we need to be honored that Jesus has trusted us to a ministry he has asked us to do. Doesn't matter whether it's taking the offering or uh, whatever it might be. We need to be honored that God has trusted us enough in order to do that. And if He's asked us to do something, he will give us the things that we need to get it done. We don't have to worry about it. If God tells you to do it, he will fulfill what he wants you to do. The only problems that we have is when we try to fulfill what he wants us to do. That's when we get in trouble. See, if I just come up here and just gave you my words and, and sit right here and just read through these notes, it, you wouldn't get hardly anything out of it. It's the stuff that I allow God to put in my mind to be able to speak out to you. And God will do the same thing for you. If you were called up here to preach a sermon and you were scared to death and you're up here and your knees are knocking, you wouldn't need to worry about because your knees may be knocking, but your way, your lips would be talking. Yeah. So God will do that for us. if we, We're only limited by our own faith and what God can do through us. So <clears throat> John 20, 3 to 5. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outrun Peter and reached, and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Now the message was intriguing enough, even though they didn't believe the women, it was intriguing enough for them to come and say, well, hey, you know, what have I got to lose? I'm just going to go look. I don't know how far away it was from where they were hiding. I'm guessing probably in the upper room, but I don't know. But it was intriguing enough for them to go to the tomb and see. And so they did. They ran to the tomb to be able to see that. (coughs) Now, John saw and believed. John uh, 28b. It says, he saw and believed. Now, when he looked in there... Like I said, he was excited about the possibility of Jesus being alive. And we looked in, and I've mentioned this before, but just quickly I'll tell you, when they wrapped him up in um, things for burial, they put strips of cloth around and these strips were uh, basically um, smothered, or if you will, I don't remember what the right word is, and they were like a glue or a resin. So when they wrapped the body with this, when it dried, it became like a cast. And if you've ever had a cast on your arms or legs or something, well, imagine yourself with a body cast from here down. And all of a sudden, they go in there, and that cast is there, but there's nobody in the cast. That would be enough to make you believe, wouldn't it? Because there's no way that you can get out of that cast without cutting them out. And so John, he looks in, and, man, he believes. That's all it took for him. Peter, he goes in, and he kind of looks around, and he thought, well, man, something happened, but I don't really know what. I don't know how he got out of this thing. But he wasn't quite as sure about it as what John was. So he had a different response to that. Uh, John 20, 29. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they have believed. Now, many people are like John, We want to believe, and so we do. We have the same evidence that John saw. We didn't really, uh, we weren't there on that day, but we have kind of the same evidence as far as an empty tomb. We've seen it, and uh, the testimony of people throughout history. We have their testimony that Jesus was alive. There was 500 at one time that saw Jesus when he rose back, when he went back into heaven and ascended back into heaven, So there was 500 at one time that saw him. So it's kind of hard to discount the evidence of all the people that saw Jesus. So that's good enough for me, I believe. And uh, so we have a decision there to make. Uh, Peter was a little slower than John to arrive at the tomb, uh, Luke 22, 61 and 62. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words of the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now the women were told to make sure that Peter knew that he was raised from the dead. The reason that he signaled out Peter was because Peter had denied him three times. And that would have been an awful time for him to have to deal with that in his heart and in his mind. And the last time that he saw Jesus was when he looked at him after he had denied him the third time and heard the rooster crow before he was crucified. Now that would have been, uh, I can't even imagine the anguish that he felt about that at that moment. Fear had caused him to uh, deny Christ, but then Jesus took the time to look at him and say, you know, I told you, He didn't really say, I told you so, (laughs) but the rooster crows, and Peter put it all together. So he was kind of a little leery about it. Okay, he's rose from the dead, but how's that going to affect me? You know, I'm the one that denied him. Not only did I run away and hide, I denied him three times. The others, they ran away and hid, but at least they didn't deny him. They just left him and hid. And what he did, he was worse than that. He denied him three times. And so he had a hard time trying to reconcile that in his heart and in his mind. And how would he be able to face Jesus if he was alive? And we have people here that uh, would, if we saw Jesus, we don't because we're confronted by our past. Because we have denied Christ sometime in our life. We've denied him. And we wonder how is that going to reconcile ourselves to God? I don't want to come to church because people probably know that I, that I denied Christ. Then what am I going to do? And so they, had, they carry that around with them. And so that's why Jesus signaled out Peter, one of the reasons, so we can know that, hey, it doesn't matter if you've denied me. I still love you, and I rose from the dead, and I want to be reunited to you with you. So don't worry about it. I died for that sin of what you committed. I died for everything that you've done, everything that you've thought that would be displeasing to me. So that's why uh, God signaled out Peter to let him know, Peter, I still love you. It doesn't matter what you've done. I still love you. Now, Judas, he could have had the same opportunity to repent and be forgiven. He could have for denying him the way that he did, but he didn't. He didn't allow his guilt to cause him to ask for forgiveness. It caused him to go out and hang himself. So there's two ways we can respond to uh, disappoint Christ or denying him or whatever it is. And I, we need to choose the one of forgiveness because Jesus died for that. He isn't going to love me anymore if I have denied him or if I didn't. He loved Peter just the same. It didn't matter what he had done. <coughs> John twenty ten. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, there wasn't enough evidence for Peter because he didn't hang around long enough. Like I said, with all the guilt and stuff going in his mind, he had a hard time reconciling with that, and he allowed that guilt and that pain to um, cause him to go back with a, still a broken, heavy heart. Now, people don't read God's Word. They don't come to church. And they don't spend time with God's people. They don't hang around. But Peter walked away from the empty tomb still brokenhearted. John 20, 11 to 13. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Now I'm... A uh, longer sermon that I did about this particular verse, that said one angel was at the head and one angel was at the foot. Now, if we look at the Ark of the Covenant, we see one angel at the head and one angel at the foot. And that's what they saw when they went into that empty tomb. It was just the angels that represented the Ark of the Covenant and the blood that was shed right there in between them. And the priests, high priests, they sprinkle it on that for forgiveness, and that. And here was the angels duplicating that for them. So we see that evidence if if we look in this. Like I said, there's all kinds of gems here in the Bible if we will just look at it, and that's exciting to me. I don't know whether it is to you, but that's exciting to me to to be able to realize that that that's what what they had saw, and uh, it's exciting. When Peter and John left, Mary stayed. Now, psychologists tell us that people get depressed at a great loss. And the bigger the loss, the more depressed they are. And that's the problem with people uh, when they lose somebody, is they become depressed, especially if it's someone that they really cared about. And there was no one in this world that Mary cared about more than Jesus. And uh, so... She was depressed at that moment, and she had a hard time even reconciling to anything. She went there, and she anticipated uh, putting spices into his grave, and he was gone. So not only was he gone, his body was gone, and she was even more depressed, and she just wept, and she cried, and she didn't know what to do. So she just stayed there, weeping and crying. Now, Jesus had cast seven demons out of Mary. And so this was Mary, seven demons out of Mary, freeing her, and she had peace for the first time in her life. Now, I can't even imagine what it would be like to have a demon in your life. I can't even imagine that. They had a lot of that back in those days. We don't so much now, and they do in some other countries where they worship all these weird things And so there's a lot more demons running around loose and and a lot more possessions than what uh, we have here. But they still happen. Now, we don't need to look for a demon under every bush or under every tree and every haunted house that they have. (laughs) Oh, we're going to inspect these ghosts. There's only one ghost, and it's the Holy Ghost. (laughs) There's demons, and uh, demons talk to people when people are dead. If anybody's talking to them, it isn't God and it isn't their loved one. It's a demon. You say they know so much about him. Well, sure they do. Demons know the history of somebody. A demon knows everything that's happened in your life. So that isn't proof of anything. Now, they have a harder time with the future. See, God's 100% accurate in the future. Demons aren't. They just guess. And um, the Bible says that if someone prophesies something and it doesn't come to pass, we're supposed to stone them. Whoa, that's pretty, pretty uh, strict, isn't it? We can't do that today. <laughs> Sometimes I wish we could, wouldn't we, don't you? <laughs> but God loves them, and they're just lost, and they need to be saved just like we do. I had a different kind of religion before I was a Christian than I do now. My, the things I worshiped surely wasn't God. But uh, so she had these demons that were battling in her life, seven of them, and I uh, man, I can't even imagine the, the anguish she went through. And all of a sudden, she has peace for the first time. You say, well, wonder what that was like. I think it's when you have a, if you have small kids, and you have a birthday party, and you got 20 of these kids, about six years old, in your house, and all of a sudden the party's over, and they go home, and you sit around going, oh, peace. <laughs> So that's kind of probably what she felt like, and I know what that's like. We used to have gobs of kids over at our house when they were growing up, and it didn't bother me. It bothers me a little more now than our grandkids come because we're not used to having kids around that much. So when they come, and they're noisy. Kids are noisy, aren't they? That's why you have them when you're young. (laughs) Of course, it's fun being a grandparent because then you can um, do things for them, send them home. Give them too much candy and send them home. It's their, their parent's problem. Say, well, no, they can't have any candy. They can't at grandma's. My house, my rules. <laughs> so but, uh, so she, had a, she was lost without Jesus. And she'd given her life to Jesus. And he gave her life meaning. So all of a sudden, everything she lived for was gone. Everything. Now, I can't even imagine what she went through. John 20, 14 to 18. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she said, told them that he had said these things to her. Mary wanted to see the Lord more than anything or anyone. Now she probably confused him with the gardener, probably because she was crying so hard she couldn't see through her tears. And of course, Jesus didn't look like he did before he was crucified. I mean, there's going to be scars in heaven, but only one person's going to hold them, and that's going to be Christ. We're still going to be able to see the scars in his hands, the places on his head where the thorns were placed and his back beaten and his side where the, where the sword was stuck. His scars are going to be there, and every day we see Christ, we're going to remember what he did for us. But those are the only scars that are going to be in heaven. I'm not going to have any scars anywhere. And that's going to be nice. <laughs> I'm going to have a perfect body. Ladies, isn't that exciting? Man, for the first time we get to eat whatever we want and not gain weight. <laughs> Don't need to worry about our clothes not fitting. <laughs> that's exciting. Some people say, well, that's kind of a weird reason to want to go to heaven. Why not? He says he's going to give you the desire of your heart. Well, that's it. (laughs) Chocolate. (laughs) and I'll bet his chocolate's a lot better than anything we can get here. Amen. So it's an exciting time for us. Now, when he said, do not hold on to me, because he hadn't ascended to his father. Now, during this time, remember, the, the temple or the Holy of Holies was a replica of what was in heaven. And in heaven, there was an Ark of the Covenant in heaven it was all these things that he told him to make like so jesus had to ascend into heaven to that ark with his blood that he shed for our sin to be able to bring it into heaven so we could be saved and he hadn't done that yet and she caught him right afterwards but he came back when he, when we appeared when he appeared to, uh, to the other disciples in that but that's what he meant at that point in time so don't worry about that issue so <coughs> And the first gospel message was preached by Mary. People say, I don't think women should preach. Chapter and verse, please. (laughs) There's no such thing. And Jesus did it right off the bat. He said, hey, I'm using this woman to preach the gospel. And she's the only first one to ever have the complete gospel. That Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, we have a hope of being raised from the dead. She had the total gospel message, the first one to do it. So if Jesus didn't want women to preach, man, he sure missed a good chance. He should have waited for John to show up or Peter to show up. But see, it was the women that supported Jesus financially, and man, they just loved him. And and women are still like that in church. You go into any church, you're going to find more women than men, as a rule. Every church I've been into, that's the way it's been. And here this morning, we have more women than men. So we can't take women out of the (laughs) church. But see, women, I think it's because we have a tendency to have a softer heart towards things than what men do. They're more logical, generally. And women, we think with our hearts, don't we? I'm logical, but I think with my heart, too. My head and my heart. Sometimes it gets me in trouble, though. (laughs) So... (laughs) And uh, so I think that that's why we can't have the, the kingdom of God without women in it. And God has no respecter of persons. Yeah. He didn't say, I'm sorry, you can't preach. Oh, no, what have I done? I appeared to Mary, and I told her to go preach the gospel. What have I done? Oh, no. He didn't do that. Because all of us stand equal at the foot of the cross. And God can do whatever he wants, speak through whoever he wants. And who am I to tell him that he can't? Or who is any man to tell him that he can't? So I think that maybe if we had all the men that call Jesus their Lord and Savior would step up to the plate and do what God wants them to do, maybe we wouldn't have to. But see, that's the problem—they aren't, and they won't, and they don't. So we have to fill in the gap like we always do, right, ladies? We have to clean the toilets. (laughs) We. <laughs> Randy does most of the cleaning in our house, too. <laughs> but, and he does a lot of it here, too. But anyway, so God doesn't respect your persons, and there's no such thing as women's work and men's work. That goes for the church, and it goes for the house, too, gentlemen. So, it's a team effort, and we have a team effort here. But everyone here this morning is like one of these three witnesses to the empty tomb. All three were told what happened. All three saw the same evidence. Mary was told by the angel. Peter and John were told by the other women. All three see, all three saw the same tomb. All three examined the same evidence, but all three had different reactions to that same evidence. And we see that today too, don't we? We all have a different response to the evidence. Many of us are like John. We see the empty tomb and believe and we're blessed for it. Some of us are like Peter. We see the empty tomb, but don't quite know what it means. What it meant to them, and what does it mean to my life? We're not sure yet. There's something uh, going on, but we don't know what it is. This is the group that says, I don't understand all this religious stuff. This group doesn't understand why people get up every Sunday morning Giving up their sleep and their spare time to come to church. They don't understand it. They probably a lot of them believe in the resurrection and all that stuff, but they don't understand why we do that. Why do we sacrifice our Sundays to come to church? They don't understand it. They know there's maybe there's something happened in history, but they don't know how it's supposed to relate to our lives. There's that group. <coughs> and um The only way this group will ever understand is if they stick around. This group needs to come back week after week after week until they see a miracle performed in their own lives. I know that when I became a Christian, my life changed drastically. And people that used to know me back then, they wouldn't have recognized me because I'd changed so much. And uh, so they didn't quite know what happened to me. They don't know how I got this Jesus thing that I had interfering with my life and interfering with our friendship. They didn't understand it. But see, as I told one of our friends when he asked me, he says, why in the world do you have to go to church all the time? And I said, I don't have to go. I get to go. There's a big difference. See, the world sees it as something we have to do. Man, if I don't go to church, I'm not going to be able to go to heaven. I'm not going to be a good person. I'm not going to do all these things, so I'll stick it out and listen to that sermon no matter how boring it is. But see, as believers, we get to come. And we, get to, we, we listen to the message, and it touches our heart, something. And a lot of things that you're going to get out of this message this morning is stuff that I won't even know I've said unless I listen to the CD. <laughs> because God has the ability to touch every single one of your hearts this morning with something from this message. I don't know what it is, I don't claim to know what it is, but God knows, and if we don't keep coming back, we will never see it. We will never understand it. But those people, those are the ones that need to hang around. They need to stay at the foot of the cross, and they need to look at the tomb, and say, what am I going to do with this empty tomb? Because they can disavow everything that they want, but they don't know what to do with the empty tomb. Because if they could prove that it didn't happen, they would have. But they couldn't. Them them religious people just hated it because they could never find a body. They probably looked around trying to find somebody that had died that looked similar to Jesus and tried to pawn him off as Jesus. But they couldn't do it. Why? Because he's alive. And that's a hard thing to try and deal with in their minds because they came at it with the idea that he did not raise, he's dead. Somewhere he's dead. They stole his body somehow. I don't know how, but that's how they did. And we have a whole world of doubters this morning, today. They doubt the whole thing, say, oh, this is a bunch of garbage. It never happened. Really? They can prove it throughout 2,000 years of history. We have a tomb. You, if you go to Israel, you can see it. And it'll change your life, because it's still empty. And uh, so I'm thankful for that. (coughs) So there's some like Mary. We see the empty tomb. We see changed lives. We we see, think there's something about it. There's got to be a practical explanation. But there isn't. There's nothing practical about it. So that's why we have to come and examine it through eyes of faith because only God could do it. So some of us may not be sure what happened, but how does it impact my life 2,000 years later? We just can't figure that part out. So we may ask, what does it all mean, or what does it all mean to me? We have a lot of people that, what does it mean to me today? Jesus is alive. He can be to us what he was to Mary. He can give us peace, forgiveness, and a purpose in life. Maybe you're ready to believe that Jesus today. Maybe you believe that Jesus is alive. Maybe you've had your prayers answered. And, may, and like Jesus, Mary, you've seen Jesus through the eyes of your heart. Maybe you're ready to believe. But if you're not ready to believe, at least hang around. Keep coming back week after week after week until all of a sudden one day you're going to come here and you're going to go, wow, I get it. I get it. Because I quit listening here and started listening here. And when we listen here, that's when we're gonna hear God's voice. I've told you many times that many people are gonna miss heaven by 18 inches, the difference from here to here. And that's a terrible thing, way to miss heaven by inches. And the world don't understand it. But everyone here this morning believes that Jesus rose from the dead. Maybe you haven't accepted that into your heart totally and completely. But we actually, in this day and age, we'd have to be a fool not to believe that Jesus rose from the dead because no one can prove that he didn't. Or they would have. They've had 2,000 years to do that, but they can't. And every time they turn around and not archaeological discoveries, they find more evidence that this book is true. Today we're living through prophecy. And I don't know, I've said this election that's coming up. I don't know who's going to get elected. I don't know what's going to happen with all that, and it doesn't matter. God knows who's going to be elected, and he knows how he's going to use that in regards to our nation. And I don't know what's going to happen to our nation. I personally believe that we're going to have a revival. Now, people can believe whatever they want, but I believe that. I believe we can have a revival, and I believe that this nation can be turned around and be saved. And the moment that we have a worldwide revival or a revival in the United States, then when Jesus comes and he takes all his children out of here, then they can have the place. I don't care. But while I'm here, I have faith in God that he still could do it. And we all need to believe that and we all need to pray that. We all need to pray for our nation because God can use whoever he wants. Whether it's your choice or whether it's my choice, God can use them. So we don't need to worry about getting at each other. And I've had people tell me that I wasn't a Christian if I voted for that person. I'm going, Are you really for real? I said, Just saying that shows that you, that's non Christian behavior. (laughs) But they get so angry at me and they try to attack me, and that's what they use. Doesn't matter. I don't care. They can say whatever they want about me as a Christian or what I'm doing in the political realm, but at least I'm saying something. I'm not going to lay down and die. I'm going to be, as long as I'm here, I'm going to keep this mouth moving. Here, when I'm preaching, out there. And I want to serve God. I believe that the tomb is still empty. I believe in the resurrection. And because he rose from the dead, we have hope. Without the resurrection, we have no hope. Can you imagine this world we live in without Jesus? I don't want to live in a world without Jesus because it's the only thing that's keeping this evil of this world at bay. And when we're removed as believers out of this world, then evil's going to run rampant in the streets. But until then, we are a restrainer that's going to restrain evil in our streets. So if you're not praying for this nation, you better start. Because we are the only hope this nation has and this world has. And it's only God that can make a change in our hearts and in our lives and in our world. Do you know him this morning? Have you w- witnessed the empty tomb through the eyes of your heart? Have you? Let's pray. I pray Father, Lord, I thank you for this day and your blessings, Lord, and I'm thankful, Lord, that you are alive. I'm thankful, Lord, that you've, Changed our lives this morning. Everyone here, most everybody here this morning knows you. And Lord, I can testify to the changed life that I've had in my own life and the personal experiences I have. And everyone here that knows you has a testimony. They have a testimony of what you've done in their lives. And I just pray, Lord, that if there's someone here that doesn't know you or hasn't really understood all this religious stuff, I pray, Lord, it will help them keep coming back week after week after week until they can witness the miracle of a changed life in their own hearts. Lord, I pray that for this congregation. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us as believers, Lord, to not cower in fear because you are alive. And because you're alive, you are the only hope that this world has. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I know that most of us are believers. But just in case you're here and you don't know God as your personal Savior, and you've been here year, weeks after weeks, I don't care, you could be coming to this church for 20 years. But unless you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you're lost. Doesn't matter how many churches you attend or how many you belong to, that isn't going to get you into heaven. Being a member of the Assemblies of God isn't going to get you into heaven. Being a member of every church in this area won't get you into heaven. Only standing at the foot of the cross and saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I need you to forgive me of my sin. And I give you my life. Lord, here I am. Forgive me. That's the only thing that's going to give you a ticket to heaven. Not what you can do. Not how much you give. It doesn't matter. That's the only thing that's going to do it. And the only prayer that Jesus promised he would hear is the prayer of repentance. God hears other prayers. And uh, usually it's because he wants to uh, affect his will somehow. I don't understand it. But God does. Anyone here this morning say, I don't know God, but I want to? Okay. I didn't think so, but never. I don't want to stand before God and say, hey, why don't you give me an opportunity? As a pastor, I'm held to a higher standard than you are, and sometimes it is not fun. But it's okay. God works things out. Any other prayer requests that we have?